here's, here's um, last Wednesday, I don't know if anybody saw me or even talked to me, uh, I kind of kept to myself. Um, because not this past Sunday, but the Sunday prior to that, I had gotten news that a guy I grew up with since like third grade had died in a car accident. Um, and then Wednesday uh, was kind of just the nail in the coffin as far as my attitude and my like my desire to do anything other than mope around. Uh, Katie called, Liza is our, our two, almost two and a half year old, um, who's been having just crazy sleep issues for the past like year. And uh, it's gotten to the point where we've done sleep clinics and all this crazy stuff. But, but Katie just asked them to do some blood work, which isn't something they would typically do for that kind of thing, but she asked them to run it. And uh, Wednesday, she called to let me know that the doctor had called her um, and told her that Liza was severely anemic, which uh, means that her red blood cell count is super low. Um, she was like a half of what she should have been at. Um, and there are like over 400 types of anemia, and none of them are good. Um, but they couldn't tell us why she was anemic. So, so you can be anemic and not know why, and then um, the why is kind of the how bad it is. Um, so it was pretty devastating, to be completely honest. Um, I was pretty crushed by it. But uh, over the course of that week, um, just praying to God, just, just going to him, um, knowing that Liza is his and knowing my selfish heart didn't want to give her up for anything, um, kind of half expecting the, be- the, the worst. Um, let's see, Saturday, I think, is when um, we did the thing in the park. We where we, uh, I played uh, some, some music in the park for a little bit for an event, and um, I kind of did my soul some good. Then Sunday came, and that typically does the same, but I slept, like, all day Sunday. Because I, I don't, I, that's how I cope with stress. It's the worst coping mechanism in the universe, but I just sleep. <sighs> so Monday rolls around, and um, I got... I don't know. It was just the weirdest thing. Um, because when Katie called me with that, um, I, just, I, like, I, I just sat in my office and cried. But then I went to the Psalms to remind myself of who God is, and that's the first time I've ever done anything like that. Normally I would have just sat there and, and just cried and been bitter or whatever. But I, I was really thankful for that experience um, because I'd never done it before. And, and so there was this weird underlying like joy that I'd never experienced before, uh, and like right beneath all the all the stress and anxiety and scaredness and, and all that stuff of, of of what was going on in our lives, um, I went like that was my reflex, and then I just I just prayed, and it was just a new experience for me, and I was really thankful for it. And um, so we had this this um, we had this appointment with uh, the hematologist, which is the, doctor who knows all about blood um and we we uh we had that this morning but but monday was just as we were praying um i just had this idea of how it was going to go today and it was um two people coming in the room um a man and woman coming in the room uh, with kind of confused looks on their faces and letting us know that nothing was wrong and they had no idea why that's how it played out in my head and all week that's what I've been holding on to. And uh, 
So today we go to Children's, and Liza gets her blood drawn, which went amazingly, because if you know Liza, she like loses her mind, and it's loud and terrible. But she took it amazingly. Um, they came back, and um, <laughs> the, the man and a woman came in the room, and uh, just kind of sat there and talked to us, and we're just kind of like, well, um, there's nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing wrong with her. Like nothing whatsoever is wrong with her blood. Um, and it was just this amazing moment of seeing God. And they said, um, well, at first the doctor was like, everything is absolutely right in the middle of being normal. And uh, they'd run kind of two separate tests, and both of them came back with the same results the first time. The first time when they said that her red blood cell count was really low. Um, and so the doctor, trying to kind of explain it away, was like, they must have had a, had a contaminated, um, like, test. But uh, I know better than that because the God we serve is, is the kind of God who can just miraculously heal that sort of stuff. Um, and, and I just, I've been praying all week that God would let me come here tonight um, and tell this story of his miraculous work and, and, and just share his glory with all of you. And, uh, and he answered that prayer, too. Um, and so I just, it was just exciting because as a parent, not knowing what's going on with your baby, um, it throws you around a lot. But um, I'm incredibly thankful to God for, for the anchor that he set in my life that, um, that doesn't allow me to be tossed far enough to lose hope. I'm incredibly thankful for his miraculous healing. I don't know why, because he, he would be the same God if, if, if none of that happened. He would be the same God if they came back and said, well, she's anemic because she has cancer. Awful news, same God. Um, but this was just an amazing, amazing experience that I've never had before. And, uh, yeah, it has nothing to do with tonight. I mean, it kind of has everything to do with tonight because it just proves who God is. But um, as far as worldviews go, um, not much to do with it. But I just want to share that with you all and, and just walk, see that Liza, she was saved from abortion um, before she was ever born. God had her hand, his hand all over her. Um, it's just amazing. It's just exciting. And uh, so, yeah, that's the end of the story. But as far as tonight's topic goes, you may be curious as to why we're talking about worldviews and different religions in church, um, which is a fair question because it's probably not something that is uh, covered in most church services. It might be, and I might be wrong, um, but it's probably not. Because uh, tonight we're going to talk about Buddhism. And I struggled a lot with this, not because, um, well, because Buddhism is, is here's what happened. <laughs> we, we were planning out the series, and I don't recall who, who came up with this idea for the series, but I said I wanted to volunteer f as tribute for it. And when I did, I had this idea of how it was all going to go in my head, and I was super pumped about it. And then I started, I think it was about three months ago, I texted Mark, and I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to do any of this. Because as a pastor, somebody called to ministry to teach, you typically like to stick to the Word of God um, most of the time when you're, when you're teaching. It's sarcastic all the time. But when you're teaching on another world religion, it's, it's kind of tough to stay in a Christian, in Christian scripture. So I, I, I found myself at this kind of weird, um, and I'm still kind of there. Like, I'm still not sure. I'm still just constantly praying that the Holy Spirit will just guide this because I'm, I've got, um, I got nothing. Um, but... But anyway, we, uh, so we talked about this, and I was super excited 
um, about the idea of teaching the series. Um, primarily because I, I love this... Um, I love this, this Christian discipline called apologetics, um, which is where people study, like, argumentation. People study, um, like, the Bible. So they study artifacts. They study world history. They study all of these things in order to prove that Christianity is, is real. So it's outside of, like, I know it's real because I've experienced salvation, um, because I've experienced the Holy Spirit, because I experienced a miracle today. Um, I know it's real because of those things, but that's probably not going to convince a whole lot of people uh, who are arguing against it, right? Uh, so that's, that, that was part of the reason. And, and, and the other part is, and let me say this, um, your personal testimony is not, I'm not trying to knock that at all. Like that can be a hugely impactful thing to somebody um, who, who doesn't know Christ. Uh, your personal story of, of transformation and like, that can be massive for people. Um, but let me think of it this way. If um, Gavin goes on trial uh, for committing a crime, or for being accused of committing a crime, say, say he didn't actually commit it. Uh, somebody's just accusing him of it. And the prosecuting attorney stands up and says, Gavin Garcia is guilty of this crime because of this item of evidence and this eyewitness testimony and this and, and this and then he sits down, and then defense attorney stands up and says, Gavin's not guilty of this because I know him, and he's a great guy, and I just know he wouldn't do this. I rest my case. And he sits down. <laughs> Gavin's probably going to jail. Right? Even though that might be true, even though the, the lawyer might know him really, like, that's not going to hold a lot of weight. Now, if the defense attorney stands up and says, ah, Gavin's not guilty of this because of this piece of evidence in this eyewitness testimony, and he's going to have a whole lot better chance. So in regards to your personal testimony, it's not that it's not valid, and it's not that it's not a great way to share the gospel with people. It's just that um, in the world you're living in, the world you're, the context you're growing up in, um, it's probably not going to go very far. Um, and apologetics is, it comes from this legal term, apologia, which is like building a case for, in defense of. Um, you guys are growing up in a world where, like one of the most popular songs last year, uh, claimed that um, controversial issues that have been decided upon for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years um, in Christ, within Christianity, um, thousands of years really, um, are all of a sudden being thrown out because uh, say because we're, we're paraphrasing a book written 3,000 years ago and in here I would think that that a book that stood the test of time would have a little more validity but apparently that makes it inaccurate that like that that makes it not okay um, but that's the kind of climate you guys are living in right now you're, you're, you seniors and juniors and sophomores, you're getting ready to go into a much bigger world. Like, you might have faced persecution. And, and, and let's throw this out there. Persecution in America is not terrible. But we're, we're, not, we're, we're not being imprisoned and we're not being beheaded and we're not being um, otherwise threatened for our faith. But we are being confronted. And, 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 and more so... Um, it's no longer okay to just be like, I'm a Christian, and have somebody say, okay, well, that's cool. I'm, I'm not, and, and that's, that's your thing. Um, Christian is synonymous with, with hatred, um, closed-minded, um, all of these negative terms in our society. So apologetics has a place here, and, and if you're thinking um, this sounds like a super nerdy thing, and I don't really want to 
listen to it. Just stick with me um, because there's a point to it, and, and there's a reason for it. Um, and it's not to win arguments. It's not to say, well, actually, if you go back to Josephus' writings in 300 B.C., and like, like it's not to spout off knowledge, that, and that was a completely inaccurate date, but it's not to act like you're smarter than everybody else. It's not to win arguments. It's to embolden, embolden you in your faith, and it's to maybe, hopefully, break down some walls that somebody has built up to the gospel. The point isn't so that you can show off. It's, it's so that you can humbly explain to somebody how they're wrong. I, I, like, I use this, I use apologetics, I use the whole idea of it and the, the, the whole discipline of it last, uh, last Sunday. Um, after I got the news about my friend, uh, a guy I went to, grew up with and went to high school with him, called me, um, and, and he's, he's into lots of different like spiritual stuff and um, so we started talking, and he, he started saying stuff about um, Islam. And how, well, he, his whole claim was that Christianity, Islam, and Judaism were all the same religion. They just kind of had, they just kind of branched off. And I was able to, because of my study, because I knew what Islam was, and I knew what Judaism taught, and I knew, I was able to say, well, I, I can see where you think that, but it's not true. And he didn't, like, receive Christ on the spot or anything like that, but, but I'm like, it's slow, and it's a slow progression. Um, but I'm hoping that one day it leads to the conversation where he's like, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying, and Jesus is the only way, and Jesus is the real deal, and, 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 and uh, Christianity is not just some other religion. It's the only one. Uh, there's a time and a place for it. Uh, we have a story of a student um, who, who, their freshman year of college, walked into one of their classes, um, and the teacher, I don't recall, I should ask Mark about the specifics, but the, but the gist of the story is that the teacher asked who believed in Jesus. Uh, the student raised their hand, and the professor looked her dead in the face and said, uh, Jesus is a myth. And he used an explicative uh, in telling her that. But that's the kind of world, um, and not all your professors in college are going to do that, but, but that's what you need to be prepared for. So are you going to be like red-faced and, and, and be like, I have no response whatsoever? And it's not that you have to argue him off, the, like, off of that stance. It's just that you need to be able to take that kind of beating and come out on the other side and say, no, but even though he said all those things, I know the truth. And I know the truth not simply because I experienced it, but I know it because of this evidence and this factuality. That's my whole motivation for this series. That's it. And if you needed any more reason, uh, Scripture calls us to, to do the same thing. So if you've got your Bible, um, this is the little bit we'll be in, in Scripture tonight. It's First Peter uh, chapter 3, we'll start in verse 14. First Peter's way in the back toward like Revelation and stuff. And just come back to the left. Past the Johns and whatnot. First Peter 3, 14. And, and, and let's get the context real quick. He's writing to some people who are undergoing some serious persecution. They're being arrested. They're being tried. They're being um, unlawfully brought before courts and, and found guilty. Okay, so not quite the same context, but they're still being called out. They're still being called out on their face. So if you start in verse 14, it says, Have no fear of them, nor, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that uh, when you are slandered, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Some really key phrases in here. This, this, we could have spent four weeks on this passage alone. And this is kind of the apologetics, like, go-to scripture. Because um, apologia is, is, is that word, or is that phrase, to make it offense. To make it offense to anyone who asks for the reason that is in you. But here's my goal, is, is to, work, to build a defense against Buddhism, against, uh, not against, but um, to build the defense of Christianity in light of Buddhism and Judaism and Islam. But doing so with gentleness and respect, because for me to stand up here and, and, and yell and, and scream about how Christianity is the only way and everybody else is going to burn in hell, that's not going to do anybody any good. Like, if you're a Christian in here, that's kind of understood. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to stand on a street corner with bullhorn to let you know. Like, that's understood. Um, but I want, I want to help prepare you. I want you to be able to, to answer the question, why do you believe what you believe? It's as simple as that. Why do you believe what you believe? Well, I experienced salvation. Well, I experienced miracles, and those are all valid reasons, but... Try talking to somebody who, who wants nothing to do with Christianity. Try talking to somebody who has everything in their life all together and doesn't need to hear your story about transformation because they don't want to transform. Think about talking to the people who, who, who openly, and, and wel- openly welcome and, and incite debates amongst non-believers and Christians for all the reasons why Christians are wrong. Because a lot of the world views Christians as being cheap. You're just, you're just a Christian because your parents raised you in church. Is that true? I'm a Christian, well, because I've experienced salvation, right? Because I've experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. But I'm also a Christian because of the gospel accounts, the validity of the historicity of the gospel accounts. I, I believe it because no other religion is anything like Christianity. Let's define religion real quick. Um, I think I've, did I put that on the slide? Yes, okay. So it's a set of beliefs that explain what life is all about, who we are, and the most important things that human beings should spend their time doing. Uh, Dictionary definition has something to do with God, has something to do with uh, worshiping somebody, a creator, somebody greater than them. Uh, Buddhism doesn't have that, not in its plainest, simplest form. It doesn't have a God. So this definition, it includes everybody. Atheists, their religion is atheism. Their religion is that there is no God, and there's nothing after death, and there's nothing going on outside of what's going on in this world. Um, I heard Timothy Keller, he's a stinking brilliant guy. Um, he was on a discussion panel with uh, a uh, Muslim imam and a uh, um, Jewish rabbi, and an imam's just a, you know, the equivalent of pastor, rabbi, whatever, um, but, but the, the imam said something that I found extremely interesting. He said, if Christians are right, Jews and Muslims are, are loving God completely wrong. But if, if Christians are wrong, or, but if, if, if Jews and Muslims are right, then Christians are loving God completely wrong. And I found it really interesting because I feel like that is, is adding more to how authentic and how real and how right Christianity is. It's the only, it stands on its own. 
And a, a, a Muslim imam is not standing up there trying to say, no, Christianity is the same as, as, as Islam and Judaism. Everybody else wants you to believe that, but a guy who's actually a leader within that faith, he'll lump himself in with Jews, but he, not with Christians because they're completely separate. And we've, we're, we're living in a world where this universalist idea of all paths lead to God, just a bunch of different ways to get there, uh, it's garbage uh, because it doesn't work. Because Christianity teaches that's not how it works. Like if everybody's right, then everybody's wrong. Like, if everybody's right, then you have to have a bunch of statements that are kind of vague, that allow for everybody else to be right. Christianity never once says, Jesus or this other way. Judaism doesn't teach a whole lot about heaven and hell. Islam doesn't either. Buddhism doesn't teach anything about anything like remotely close to the afterlife. My point is, that if, if you're in this room, and I was there for, for several years after high school, I was in this mindset of, okay, yeah, God is real, Jesus is the Son of God, but there has to be another way. Um, and and if, if that's how you feel, I'm just going to encourage you to read Scripture because it's not how it works, unfortunately, because it's, it's super easy and a little bit lazy to think that way. A lot lazy. Because it takes all the responsibility off of because if there's a way for somebody else who's actually a good person to get to heaven, what, why do we have to bother with the Great Commission? Who cares? If, 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 if there's another way than Jesus Christ to get to heaven, then why do we have to share the gospel with anybody? We don't, if that's how it works. We're off. We're, like, we're off the hook. We don't have to do anything. But that's not what Christ teaches us. That's not what God teaches us through his word. Through his word. So all of that being said, Buddhism. I've got these fast facts about Buddhism. Um, there's, so much, there's so much involved. Um, so it was started by an Indian prince named Siddhartha Gautama, probably butchering his name, um, around the 6th century B.C. Uh, there are approximately 487 and a half million people in the world worldwide, worldwide who, who claim to be Buddhists. There are two primary sects. So, so here's the deal. Um, in Buddhism, these sects, these different groups of Buddhists, um, they're not like Baptists and Methodists. They're not like Catholics and Baptists. Not, they are, okay, so there's this Theravada. Um, they have one set of books that they read from that they believe to be the only valid scripture from Buddhism. And then you have this other, that's the Mahayana, which is like every type of Buddhism you've ever heard of in your Tibetan, Zen, um, like all the popular ones in the West, those are all Mahayana. The other ones, they're like completely different teachings, completely different sacred texts, but both claim to be Buddhism. Uh, notable beliefs, no gods or, or gods, only self. And, and even with the self, there's not really... This is why I started, like, drowning in Buddhism. There's not technically a self, but we'll get to that. Um, all schools of Buddhism, they do teach the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And, uh, and those are, and just stick with me, because this is just like, oh, my gosh, what's the point? Um, I have it. I have one. Uh, this, this, it, it's all, um, it's all, 
every teaching in Buddhism has to have this un understanding of non-permanence. And what that means is nothing is eternal and everything's temporary. Everything, like uh, uh, humanity, hu men, um, humankind, we're not really here because <laughs> we're just a series of, of temporary mental synapses. Like, that's what Buddhism teaches. Um, and that's, like, way up here above my understanding and above my ability to contextualize stuff. Like, I can't even wrap my mind around. The point, like, it's, it's almost like an uh, answer to the, um, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Buddhism would say no. Do what? Well, that's true. The tree was never there, and it was only there if you experienced it. That's what Buddhism teaches. And it's tough, and we're not going to get super involved in it. But the point is um, the idea that there's no soul um, there's no eternality, there's no God, there's no, there's nothing, which is super depressing if you ask me. There's nothing. This is it. Which, I love you guys, but, like, this is, this is it. Like, your everyday experience. That's all you've got. Uh, I had something else, but, um, anyway... Uh, the other thing that we should note is that, uh... Buddha, the Buddha, Siddhartha, was raised a Hindu. Um, and I don't think I put this in the slides. I might have. No, I didn't. Uh, so, so what happened is um, there are a bunch of different types of, of stories of how uh, Siddhartha was born and how he came to be. But basically what happened was he was born, he was raised within these palace walls, never allowed to be in the world. Uh, when he was about 30 years old, he uh, had what are called the four visions and, and how he encountered these things. A bunch of different stories about that too. But the four visions, basically he saw somebody who was sick, somebody who was poor, somebody who was old, somebody who was dead. He had never experienced these things. And, and, and like if you're living anywhere for 30 years and you're encountering other people for 30 years, you're going to experience somebody growing old, like your parents. But that's not the point of this talk. Like, that's just one of the things that I was like, that doesn't even kind of make sense. But he'd never experienced it. So he rejected this Hindu belief of evil as, a, as an illusion, and he went out to figure out the, the cause of and the, the solution for human struggle. And he went throughout several years, and he didn't eat. Well, well okay. Um, one story says that he, he fasted to the point of starvation, Another story says that he ate one grain of rice for a year. Oh, no, wait, one grain of rice a day for a year. Um, one sip of water a day for another year. Uh, and all these things, and he, he, came, he came upon this idea of the middle way, where you don't have too much, you don't overindulge yourself, but you also don't starve yourself, okay? And then he sat underneath a tree and meditated and vowed to not get up until he was able to figure out the cause of and, and, and solution to human suffering. Now, depending on what version you read, um, some say that he was tempted while he sat under this tree. Beyond all measure, more than any man who had ever lived before, he, he had been tempted. And if some of these things are sounding a little bit familiar to something else you've learned, it's because they are. Uh, 
because Christ was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, because he started his journey, and in this whole time, this, this Hindu prince is, is, uh, is walking throughout the land, um, kind of teaching people along the way what he's doing. So he comes to the idea of the Four Noble Truths, which is, uh, first of all, life is marked by suffering. Desiring things can cause suffering because we desire things that are only temporary. Therefore, to escape suffering, we must remove all desire for anything. And the fourth is we can learn to remove our desires um, by, the, by following the Eightfold Path. So the point is human suffering is caused by desire. The, and it's not just desire. It's desire for things that aren't eternal, which I would actually agree with. Human suffering is, is caused by desire for, for all the stuff around us because we keep trying to consume it and we keep trying to fill this void in our lives with all this junk, whether it's praise or, or material wealth or, or money or pop, like whatever. You try and fill this cavern that's innately in your soul that's there from birth because God put it there so that you would seek him and find him to fulfill it. But we try and fill it with all this stuff that's not eternal and it's not temporal. Now, here's the huge difference. The Buddha says, just don't want anything. Just stop wanting stuff. Just stop desiring things. Christ said, I'm it. Christ said that thing that you're trying to fill, that, that void, I can fill it. Not only can I fill it, I can fill it so much that it overflows. See, Buddha offers a solution that, only, that rests on the back of everybody who tries to strive after it. Do you understand that? Like Christ, going back to the idea of, of somebody being on a path, and somebody else being on a different path, but both leading up to the same place. Uh, David Platt wrote in his book, he, he talked about how two men were having a conversation just like this. And he said, so basically what you're saying is that everybody's on a path, they're all different way, but they all go to the same place, and they're, they're excited. I think one was a Buddhist monk, and the other one was, uh, might have been um, an Islamist uh, uh, teacher. But David Platt is, is, is also another brilliant guy, but he says, um, he said, and, and so they got excited about him understanding the paths to, and he, and he said, well, what if, what if God came to us? And they said, well, that would be wonderful. And he said, well, let me introduce you to Jesus. Because that's what happened. Because the Old Testament law, we couldn't, we couldn't carry that burden. We couldn't keep it perfectly. And God knew that. And he had a plan set in place before time to fix that. Buddhism teaches that if you try hard enough, and if you devote yourself to this eightfold path, and we don't have to go through all of it, it's all up there, but we, don't, we really don't have to go through all of it. But it all has to do with being able to live a life, all of it starts with right. Right, uh, right understanding, right conception, right speech, right behavior, right livelihood, right effort, right concentration, right meditation. If you can get all those things right, well, the, <laughs> Buddhism teaches that there is... Um, Oh, I think you can go to the next um, slide after the Eightfold Path with the comparison. So, so what is salvation? You didn't keep, sorry. <laughs> uh, so what is salvation? In Buddhism, it's nirvana. 
And this is depending on if you, if you uh, subscribe to a certain school or not. Some, some teach that there is, this is how far apart the teachings are. This is the most basic principle. Like This, this is the most pared down um, original version of Buddhism that we're talking about tonight. But there are versions out there that teach that there are spirits called Bodhavastras that help you. They're, they act as angels. There's, a, there's an afterlife, and there is a god and a goddess, and they are wanting you to reach nirvana so that you can spend eternity with it. Like, that's how far apart they are. This teaches nothing. Nothing happens. You escape from suffering by reaching nirvana. Depending on the school of Buddhism, this can mean entry into heaven, like realm, or simply ceasing to exist. That's your reward. You're done. That's awful to me. To me, that's awful. Because it teaches reincarnation, it teaches rebirth, and, and until you can get all of these eightfold paths, until you can get everything right in one round, you're going to keep being reborn. Some, Buddhism, some Buddhist schools teach that you're reborn as something, depending on how you lived your previous life, you're reborn as, like if you lived a crappy one, you're reborn as a, um, a fly. Or if you lived a really good one, you reborn as a human. I, like, I'm not even making that up. That's, you can look into it your, for yourself. There are just too many types. Jesus, Buddhism, he, <laughs> Buddhism said, if you get all these things right, you can just stop existing. If you can just work hard enough, I almost fell. If you can just work hard enough to get all this stuff right, you can just be done working. Congratulations. Christ said, don't worry about the work. I'm here. I've done it. I've achieved it. Just enjoy it. Just purely based on what like, my, my own like, lack of a work ethic and, and, and laziness wants, Christianity appeals to me a lot more. But there are a lot of people in this world, in our society today, who who subscribe to Buddhist teaching. And here's the deal. That friend that I was talking to the other night, he called me, was it December, I guess? It was right before um, Christmas. And he said, man, I just got saved. And I was like, are you kidding me? That's amazing. He lives in Fayetteville, so I don't talk to him very often. Um, but he said, you're the first person I wanted to call just rejoice with him and, and he said some stuff that was weird but I was like hey I don't care if that's not theologically right like you got saved and then fast forward to the conversation we had the other night he didn't know what he believes he's got he's gone from atheist to there is no God whatsoever to I think there's a God but I think it's all the same one that everybody's worshiping in between those conversations we had several others one of which he was telling me about this book that he loved called Jesus and Buddha, The Parallel Sayings. The author of the book says that he's a Christian, and he also calls Buddha and Jesus spiritual brothers. The rest of the book, which is a lot, go through one of the dozens of, or several of the dozens of, of Buddhist um, sacred scriptures, um, to point out where Buddha taught something. And Buddha was alive like 500, 600 years before Christ. So, so if you have the physical copy of the book, you've got Buddhist, a Buddhist quote here and a quote from Jesus here. And they're almost identical. 
Every single one of them. And there are a lot. And I can't help but think that that might have had an influence on Hunter falling away. Whether his salvation was genuine or not that night is not my deal. I know where he is now. And I know a little bit of the path he took to get there. So to act like, well, Buddhism's not that big of a deal. Read that book and, and see how strong your faith is. Like, don't read that book. Don't read that book. Terrible, terrible advice. It was a hypothetical, like, a, don't read the book. <laughs> Stupid. Uh, don't read the book. But all I'm saying is you can see how easily somebody could be confused. Like, is it not clear how, how, how people, how Satan... Okay, this is kind of getting into realms where it's kind of weird, and, and I don't know about Satan, and I don't know about spiritual warfare. I've been enduring it for the past year, so I know a little bit about it. And that's one of them. Because here, what's a better tactic for Satan to use? Hey, Christianity is completely wrong. Don't ever even seek it. Don't even look at it. Or, hey, Christianity is great, but so is Buddhism. So is Islam. And it's all kind of the same, right? So why don't you just mix it all up and follow that? Clearly, it makes more sense for him to, to manipulate and create these situations and scenarios and teachings and all this garbage to clutter up the, the true path, the one path. Does that make sense? Does that, does that help you understand why it's so important to know why you believe what you believe? I'm going to end on this. Um, I've got just four, just four passages of of scripture that I want to point out. They're not going to be up on the screen because uh, I forgot to email them to Mark. But um, just four passages that completely make that entire book of Jesus and Buddha, the parallel sayings, uh, a complete and utter waste of time because Buddha didn't say these things. Nobody claimed these things about Buddha while he was alive. Uh, first is Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation by no one else. Because there's no other name, not Buddha, not Allah, not nobody else. No name under heaven. First John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Nobody said that about Buddha. Nobody claimed that about Buddha. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, and the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. One God, one mediator. Jesus Christ, not Buddha. And finally, this is a quote directly from Jesus. John 14, 6 and 7. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, knew, do know him and have seen him. I, I, Jesus Christ, is saying, I am the way, the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody else. 
I don't care how cleverly a book is written about how much Jesus and Buddha parallel each other. I don't care about how much Islam and Judaism and Christianity seem alike. What Christ has to say about himself should be evidence enough for us to reject everything else. Don't be caught not knowing why you believe what you believe. If God has acted in your life strongly enough for you to say, no, there's literally nothing that could ever shake me from this, good for you, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. But for those of you who would say that, um, why not learning about it? Why not learn about other religions so that you can maybe lead some other people to Christ. If you're not too sure, if you're a little bit shakier in your faith and you're like, I don't know why I believe what I believe. I just have been raised in church. Dig in. Like, Scripture has like innumerable amounts of, of, of just evidence People, people devote their lives to what's called biblical apologetics. They look at things like Isaiah that told, that was written 500 years before, no, no, 740 years before Christ. And they write about the suffering servant. In Isaiah 53 and 54, uh, they write about Jesus' life 740 years prior to him even being born. That's awesome. That's amazing. And maybe you didn't know it was that long. Maybe you didn't realize that Isaiah was writing about Jesus. Maybe, I don't know, but the Bible is rife with, with just evidence after evidence of why Christianity is the only way and why it can be the only way. There is no other way. So next week we're going to look at Judaism. And we're going to look at the similarities and differences between Judaism and Christianity. And guess what the difference is going to be? Can anybody answer that? Yes! Jesus is the difference. Jesus is the difference. Do you, like, that's, he's the difference. I don't care if, if, if every single thing in the Old Testament was paralleled with every single thing in something else like the Torah. Jesus is the difference. Jesus is what makes it unique. Without Jesus, it's not. Without Jesus, it's the same as everything else. And that's not a, like a ticket for you to be like, well, it's just Jesus. I don't know. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'm not coming back. Like, come find out why Jesus is the difference and why it makes sense. I'm excited about this series. I'm, I'm excited about um, hopefully teaching you guys um, some things maybe you didn't know. Like, um, Islam talks about Jesus being a prophet of Allah. Like, it talks about Jesus. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe that's something new. Come back in a couple of weeks and we'll talk more about it. Uh, let me pray for us and, and we'll get out of here. God, I thank you. Um, I thank you for your miraculous works. I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, your son who you sent to die for our sins. And I thank you so much for just allowing us to come here and learn about that. God, I pray that you would just have your hand all over the next couple of weeks so that we can talk about the difference between you and everything else in the world and learn to love you more for what you've done for us. God, I, I pray that, um, that these students in here won't take this lightly, that they'll maybe 
have heard something tonight or, or hear something over the next couple of weeks that ignites something for them to learn more about you and more about your word. God, I pray that you would just help us to understand where other people are coming from so that we can reach them for you, for the gospel, not so that we can win arguments, not so that we can do anything other than love them and educate them in a way that honors you. God, I pray that you keep all these students safe throughout the week and, and, and just um, leaving here tonight. Um, pray that you, you help me prepare for next week. And it's in your son's holy name I pray. Amen.